Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook and I'm joined again today by James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. Charlie, there's only one way to start this. Just how excited are you? <laughs> uh, very excited, pumped. Um, I, can't, I still can't quite believe it. I, I've got so used to lockdown and not having football that I, uh, until... I think it'll be one of those things that once it starts, it'll be like it was never it was as if it was never away. But for the moment, I'm just really struggling to imagine it. It still feels abstract and far away. But uh, I am really, really excited and just so curious about so many things, what it's going to look like, um, you know, who's going to have benefited, uh, who won't have done. Uh, but yeah, excited, pumped, all of the above. And James, you must have a uh, an special excitement as a Spurs fan. Yeah, of course. And also, I mean, as I was saying to Charlie earlier on, uh, Spurs are going to surge back to greatness now and it's all because of me. Go on. Well, so I moved to Kingston in January 2016 and from that point onwards, Spurs like vastly improved, massively improved. And you you remember the second half of that season? They ended up in the title race. You know, it was a season that Arsenal bottled the title famously. Um, Spurs were in the title race for a bit you know they were, they were a superb team the next season as we've talked about many many times on this podcast the Wanyama season 16-17 the last season at White Hart Lane unbeaten home record fantastic season you know moved to Wembley another great season Champions League run the following season Champions League run you know moving to the new ground get to the final of the Champions League and then between the semi-final and the final like an idiot I moved to Putney and it suddenly it all went wrong. But now, this week, I'm moving back to Kingston and it's going to be fine. Wow, I had no idea. So, I mean, it makes perfect sense when you think about it. More good news is that when I took this job, that coincided with Spurs collapsing to the point where some of the Spurs press pack call me the jinx. But uh, the good news is I'm going to be off at some point during the run-in um, on paternity leave, at which point you know, with the jinx out of the way, Spurs can surge towards the finish line. And with the good vibes from James's uh, flat move, it's, it's just all on. You know, it's uh, pretty much a foregone conclusion. How many points ahead of Liverpool? <laughs> uh, I actually have no idea how many points ahead Liverpool are. It's at about Spurs. 40. I imagine it's probably about 40. <laughs> it genuinely is. I can't think of any reason why I can help Spurs through this time. Um, but I am excited. I feel like... It feels like the start of a new season. It feels a bit like the start of a tournament because it's so, because it's the summer and it's so different and new and unlike the normal routine football season, it does feel like a tournament. Like I've spent the last, I've spent a fair bit of the last few weeks feeling sad that it's not the Euros. Um, and on, if you go on I mean, Instagram, users will be familiar with this function, but if you go on your Instagram story, you can see like your old Instagram post from a few years ago. And so I've spent, a fair bit of time recently looking through my kind of on this day and like mm. four, two years ago today I was at Morocco nil Iran one in St. Petersburg four years ago today I was at Romania one Switzerland one in Paris and you know I'm very conscious of the fact that Sunday should have been England Croatia at Wembley tomorrow should have been France Germany and Munich and we're you know the, the Euros is not happening and yet what we've got is kind of you know a kind of decent stand-in for Euros because we are getting all of this all of this lovely football. And I think it is, So I certainly feel like it, it kind of fills a gap that a lot of us were feeling really, really keenly. Yeah, that's really, the, ta- the tournament comparison is a really good one, I think, actually. It, it does have that feel, especially because there are, you're going from 
nothing and that feeling of like fevered anticipation to then so much so quickly you, you know like games every day and that kind of thing um so yeah ho hopefully it will you know it'll be more kind of euro 2000 than world cup 2010 yeah and everybody will be like so for example on friday evening before the spurs game it's what it's uh southampton again it's norwich city against southampton which kind of has real like morocco iran vibes like <laughs> you know <laughs> everyone's just going to watch it because it's on and it, you know it, unfortunately like it won't be it won't be quite like that because people won't be in the pub but everybody will be sad at home you know looking forward to the manchester united to the manchester united tottenham game watching norwich and again there'll be this weird kind of like tournament style thing where you're like who are these guys? Like, I've forgotten who all these players are. Like, I, I, I don't think I could name, like, two Norwich or two Southampton players right now. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, it's going to have this, like, everyone's going to get really in behind into it and people are going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know this guy. Like, I know about Norwich. Um, <laughs> and it... Yeah. Sorry, no no disrespect to Norwich and Southampton, who are... We cover very well on The Athletic. Or, but it or does Iran, have that like, Yeah, it does yeah. have that, like, exotic feeling, doesn't it? Certainly no disrespect to either of those, given they've both beaten Tottenham uh, over the course of the season. <laughs> no Norwich most recently on penalties and uh, Southampton in the league. There aren't actually that many teams that have absolutely nothing to play for, really, are there? I mean, you look at sort of Newcastle and Southampton probably aren't going to go down. They're on 35, 34 points. Probably not quite Burnley, close enough to push for imagine. Europe. Yeah, but I mean, but, but could Burnley, you know, Burnley are two points behind Spurs. I mean, are, are they kind of in the in the race for a Europe? You know, are they an outside bet for European spot? Same with Palace, who are 11th on 39 points, uh, Everton in 12th. You know, it, it kind of feels like it's not impossible. And there could be some weird things happening in this run of games. There could be a team who unexpectedly win eight out of nine games and suddenly finish like eight or nine places higher in the table than you might have expected. It was a weird season before the break. Imagine what it's going to be like <laughs> afterwards. Yeah, I do think it's going to be very like high variance in terms of strange things happening just the yeah. combination of like totally unprecedented conditions play teams frankly coming back at different levels of fitness because you know different teams will have prepared in different ways in terms of how much like intense fitness they did at the start how hard they worked the players during the break i think like the psychological impact of like some teams having an awful lot to play for some teams having nothing to play for i just think there are so many weird elements here and new things that we've never seen before that i wouldn't be surprised if we get some very very strange results this is what i was talking to ben dinnery about a piece i did on kind of injuries and the risk that players are at when they come back and he was talking about those things that there are so many unknowns and we just don't know how individuals because it will a lot of it be on an individual level yeah there's been a few weeks of group training but so much of it early on was uh, players doing their own thing and yes those are tracked by GPS and whatever but we still don't really know and and then there is the psychological aspect of players coming back and who's going to be comfortable playing in this unprecedented environment some probably will be some really won't be they're going to players are going to have to be a lot more self-sufficient which will suit some and won't suit others so yeah even just from that kind of micro injury level there'll be lots of weird um surprises and yeah you broaden that out and so many unknowns it is going to be so interesting to see who adapts best to it all yeah and it's it's kind of one of the hardest things that i found is trying to put yourself back in the mindset of where football was back in march because that was a really really long time ago it was 14 so spurs last game against rb leipzig was 14 weeks ago which is longer than would normally be the break between the last game of one season and the first game of the next season, which is usually more like about 10 weeks. 
And it's it's just odd, isn't it? It's like imagine if you imagine if you didn't watch EastEnders for six months, and then you sorry fourteen weeks. If you watch sentence for if you don't watch your sentence for fourteen weeks and you put it back on and you've been like I'm trying to remember like is Phil Mitchell good or bad? You know what I mean? It's like you 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 lose that. Yeah, is 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 Ian Bill like happy with his lot at the moment or are things starting to fall apart again in his life? You know what I mean? It's like you're just out of that kind of narrative process or narrative engagement, which means that everything feels like it has to start from scratch. But I was looking back at that RB Leipzig game. And Charlie, you were there. Yeah. Um, what? How much? How much of it can you remember? <laughs> the whole experience. I remember. Like, I remember being there, and the talk in the press press box was, uh, you know, that this could be the last time we're doing a game for a while. Um, but it, it feel it does feel so so long ago, and I can't believe we did it. I can't believe because it all happened so quickly. That was on the Tuesday, and um, you know we're flying to Germany and back, and then the following Monday was told that uh, you know pregnant women can't leave the house, which basically meant I couldn't leave the house. And I was thinking in the space of like less than a week gone from traveling to Germany to this like lockdown. It was just bizarre. But the, yeah, the game itself, I mean, I remember the the goals and, and that kind of thing, but it, it it just feels so long ago. It, it's, it's crazy to think that's Tottenham's most recent match. James, what are your memories of it? Just that kind of good first five minutes and then a, a humiliating collapse in the, in the kind of 15 minutes that followed that. And then what's left, 70 minutes of just uh, pointlessness, really. Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty grim. Jack and I were very bullish about Tottenham's chances beforehand, and I remember for the first five minutes thinking, "Yeah, we've nailed this," and then after about half an hour, thinking, "Yeah, we've maybe got this a bit wrong." Well, look, we know what's coming, Jack. We know you're going to test us on the team, so let's just do it. Let's just do the quiz. Okay, okay, fine. So, listeners, this is not a. Uh, you will realise from that that this was pre-planned banter and not oh, sorry, totally gonna... spon- not totally spontaneous. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. We can still roll with it. Um, so, can you name the Spurs starting eleven from that defeat in Leipzig? Do we, are we taking it in turns to name a player? Uh, I don't know. Let's just do a free for all. <laughs> no, that's, that's, rubbi- that's rubbish. Do it. Do okay. it. Oh, come on. Okay, fine. Well, it's Charlie, hard, isn't we'll it? Take it in turns. It's obviously okay. like a f- yeah. Take it in turns to name a name. But the first person to name someone who doesn't play loses. Yeah. Ooh. Sunday. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Larry's played. Yes. Uh, uh, Lacelso played. Yes. Oh god. Um. Uh, uh, Winks played. Yes. Oof. Oh, uh, Aurier played, didn't he? Yes. He was at fault for a goal, believe it or not. Um, I remember this because it was quite strange, or not strange, because he actually, or I'd forgotten that he played the, the last few games. Uh, Dyer played. Yes, Dyer played. Did Lucas play up front? Yes, he did. Oh, yeah. It's Spurs uh, in 2020. Of course Lucas played up front. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the happiest I'll ever be at hearing Lucas is playing up front. <laughs> uh, Delhi played because he gave uh, stinging post-match quotes. Yes. Wow, so we've got to we seven. Named? We've got to seven. seven. So just to run... So, so far we've got Lloris LaCelso, Winks, Aurier, Dyer, Lucas and Delhi. So you've got four more players to get. Okay. So we've not had a centre-back there, so... 
Uh, Alderweireld. Yes, Toby played. I've got to say, we're doing much better than I thought here. Um, Lamella? Yes, Lamella played. <sighs> that is a good one, because he wouldn't have been an obvious guess. So there's two more names uh, to get. I've got one of them, I think. Oh. Uh, so... We've not had a left-back, have we? We've not had a left-back and we've not had a centre-back, so I'm going to play the percentages there. Oh, God, I'm so clever. Ah, uh, Tongan. Oh, no! no because Tongan James- did not play. This is one more name left. Uh, I'll tell you what, did Sessegnon play? Yeah, Sessegnon uh, yeah, is yeah. the final name. Well done. That actually worked surprisingly well, both like as a bit and also in terms of your your, your the accuracy of your answers. I mean, let, let's let the uh, listeners determine how well that went. But <laughs> I enjoyed it. Well, yeah, that's a stra- that is a strange team, though, isn't it? I mean, how many of those will start? Do we think on uh, on Friday? You'd think probably. Well, who wouldn't? I don't think Sessignon will. Don't think Delhi Ali will. won't. <laughs> Delhi Ali won't. Yeah. Uh, Mora touch and go. Tanganga probably not. We think Dyer is going to play, don't we? Yes, think he may well do. Yeah, because Ben Davis was injured then, wasn't he? That was why he wasn't playing. Uh, He'll come okay. back in. Yeah, you would have thought so. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, actually, having said it's a strange team, it will probably be quite similar. Obviously, Son and Kane, Son, Kane, and Sissoko will come in. I guess probably. And Bergvine probably. We were going to do a bit. Sorry, you've played my script here. We were going to do a bit later on about what we think this, what we think the Spurs eleven is going to be. But you might as well just do it now, given that we are already are doing exactly segway. Yeah, yeah. So this is a kind of forced segue. Um, so what we're going for? Do you, here's a question I was thinking. Do you think that Delhi's suspension means there's kind of no point in playing four two three one, and he might as well go for a four three three? I, yeah, I I do know what you mean. I did I did have that thought, and that maybe it it does simplify that in a way. As much of a blow as it is losing Delhi, it it could kind of make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think I mean it is definitely bad to lose him. You know, to lose a goal scorer, but it, yeah, I think Charlie's right. It simplifies the decision, and it sort of means you'll probably have round pegs in round holes rather than trying to jiggle things around to get him in the team. Um, yeah, quite what that means in the longer term. It actually feels like it could be quite a bad, badly timed suspension uh, from his perspective, um, which is ironic given it's taken about four months to come round. Uh, but I, I, Mourinho must be quite annoyed, right, that they waited so long to announce that. Because, you know, they've waited until basically they're preparing for that game and then they've announced that he's going to be suspended. And I'm not mm. saying the suspension is wrong or harsh, but it does seem a bit strange that it took them this long to determine that was going to be the case when, you know, I think we all kind of accepted and knew and believed that that should happen. But to wait until they're suddenly preparing for the match and then announce it does seem a little bit... I can see why Mourinho might be a bit frustrated by that. Yeah, I wonder how much they were expecting it, though. I wonder if they did... Well, maybe. ...saw it coming. But yeah, I mean, it does mean that that three... The front three you would think would be Son, Kane and Bergvine, unless he, he could go for more instead of Bergvine. Um But those would be all three players who haven't played for a little while. And then it's the mid, the midfield three. I mean, the Celso picks himself and then two of Sissoko, Winkson and Dombele, you would have thought. 
and Dyer. I think Dyer will play centre back quite possibly. I mean that that's where he was playing um, at the back end of the period before we stopped. Um, so I think he may get the nod ahead of Sanchez, but you know we'll have to see. That that feels like it's up for grabs still. So are you saying that looks like Larice, Aurier, Dyer, Alderweireld, Davis, and then probably let's say Winks, Isoko, Lacelso, Son, Kane, and Bergwijn. Something like that. I think Dyer slash Sanchez. I wouldn't like to pick that. I think could be either. Slightly depends on because Sanchez had a bit. It's you know uh, he didn't play in. I think it was the internal game. So you know we assume he's okay. But um, yeah, I think that that the centre back and centre mid feels like the two the two big decisions. And of course, this is a huge opportunity for Spurs because they've got a chance to push back into the Champions League places, which if the season had played out normally, I don't think they would have done at all, really. And Charlie, this is something which you've written about for a piece in The Athletic, so listeners can get 40% off a subscription to The Athletic using promo code SPURSPOD. Um, We've relaunched a lot of fascinating Premier League coverage today, coverage of all 20 teams and teams in Championship as well. But Charlie, how... Tell me about how how you have set the scene up for Spurs right now. Yeah, well, the the, the the thing I keep coming back to, and I still can't quite believe it, and I double-checked it about 50 times when I wrote this piece, was that if Tottenham do beat United, uh, Manchester United, in their first game back, they could be a point off the top five, which at the moment carries with it a place to the, top four, uh, to the Champions League, which just feels crazy given where... I mean, when play stops, they were on a run of six games without a win... Uh, they had just come back from Leipzig, kind of bruised and battered, you know, struggling to get a team out. All their forward strikers seemed to be injured. They were playing United, who at that time were seemed to be riding the crest of a wave. And it just felt like, you know, Spurs were on the ropes and United were about to deliver the knockout blow. And that was going to be Tottenham season over in mid-March. And they'd just gone out of the FA Cup as well a couple of weeks before. Instead, here we are, and they it just feels like such a reprieve, such a second chance. The That top five Champions League race is still on, and they've got a chance to make it really, really on uh, if they can win that first game back. So, it, 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 yeah, it's that feeling of a second chance, of a reprieve. I, I Again, the thing I keep coming back to is Mourinho uh, in February repeating that he wished he could fast forward to July and he'd have all his players back, and... He has pretty much done that. He is now bending time to his will, seemingly. So just a crazy sequence of events. Um, and, you know, for Tottenham to now have... At that time, they were without Kane, Son, Bergvine and Sissoko. Now they've got them all back. That is a huge, huge shift. Um, you know, so it feels like it's on. It really does. Um, and again, that's what I was saying last week, that... Y- I think from a fan's perspective, like James, you know, you maybe want a less stressful first game back because there is so much riding on it. You maybe want a game to settle in and get that win and just get the momentum going again. But obviously then the flip side is that if you do win this match back, it would just be this first match back. It would be so huge for their confidence and to set things up for the next couple of months. It definitely feels very all or nothing, doesn't it? I I think if they win that game, I would be fairly confident that, that they could they could finish fifth but if they were to lose I would say they have absolutely no chance do you think that success is as binary as Champions League is good anything else is bad uh 
No, not necessarily. I, you know, I don't. I don't think we should lose sight of the difficulties that um, pre-lockdown difficulties that that Spurs have faced this season. And you know, we've talked about it a lot on the podcast over the last six or seven months. Really, uh, a major squad rebuild was needed. It had been needed before this season, uh, probably even before last season. Uh, and that is kind of the root of, of the problems that we've seen uh, in nineteen twenty. So to kind of dismiss finishing sixth or seventh as a complete failure, I think, or, or a complete failure on the basis of the season, I think would be naive. I think it's an indication of the failures from previous seasons, if anything, away from the pitch. Yeah, I'm always wary of um, being too binary on those kind of things and just because the margins are so small and so if, or they can be. So I think if if Tottenham did really come back into this race and put together some performances that showed promise ahead of next season given how bleak things looked in in mid-November when uh when Pochettino left and it looked like there was going to have to be such a big overhaul I think that they there can there is a way that we could start to feel a bit more positive about next season without getting the top five um that said it may be that not getting top five you know if it, if it happens and they you know don't even really challenge for it then obviously that would be really disappointing and I imagine there'd be a lot of pessimism around um, but I don't think it's necessarily um, kind of the be all and end all even if in a financial sense it would make a massive difference getting Champions League compared to not. So as I said that is theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to get 40% off a subscription which works out at less than £3 a month. Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. Under normal circumstances, if Kane, Son and Sissoko were coming back after months out, you'd worry about their match fitness, wouldn't you? Because, you know, naturally players need time to get back into the habit of playing. But no one they're playing against is going to have any match fitness either. Like, presumably, I mean, like, look, I'm not an expert in this kind of thing, but it would occur, It would seem to me that Kane is at no more of... There's no reason that Kane should be any less match, match fit than... Well, I was going to say Rashford, but Rashford himself has been injured recently. But like any other Manchester United player, they, won't they all be starting, Charlie, from the same point? Yeah, well, Ben Dinnery, who is an expert on these matters, agrees with you. Um, that's Ben who runs Premier Injuries. Um, yeah, he said exactly that, basically, that if they were coming back mid-season, yeah, you're up against players who are at full pelt, fully settled, and that's a lot harder. Whereas this will, in theory, be a bit of an equaliser because everyone's coming back after uh, a long break and is trying to feel their way back in. So, yeah, not only are those players... Did Tottenham have those players now fit that they wouldn't have done um, back in March? But they've got players coming back at a time that hopefully will be a bit more um, kind of generous for those players coming back. So again, could make a big difference. All of these things uh, we are talking 
theoretically because it is a situation that's not really known but as much as we have precedence that is what it's suggesting that it is a better time for them to be coming back than it would be ordinarily mid-season and something that i take a bit of confidence from from germany and spain is that the big teams are doing really well like i don't think dortmund and bayern have dropped any points against teams from outside the you know i don't think Bayern, I think, have won every game, and Dortmund, I think, have won every game except for Bayern. So it's it's clear that ability, ability and quality matters more than anything else, and the big teams are better able to adjust to this than the small teams. And I know Spurs have been playing badly for a lot of the season, but they do have a lot of really good players, particularly in attacking positions. And I do think, you know, for reasons that we've discussed in the past in this podcast, I do think those big name attacking players will adjust better to this than anyone else so again like I, I am just re- I know every time I, I'm confident about Spurs they let me down but um, I am confident about Spurs ability to get through this although the only the, the only counterpoint to that is their first game back is against Manchester United who also have a lot of very good players um, g- given what happened when Spurs lost at Old Trafford back at when was it Christmas December December yeah early December. December do you think do you think Charlie's any you, you were at the game weren't you do you think there's any mm. any any lessons for Spurs from that night they were really open that night. They actually they played a four two three one away at Old Trafford, and they completely lost the midfield battle that night. It was it was Sissoko and Winks, I'm pretty sure, which I know is not uh, you know to everyone's taste who follows Tottenham. I think it fills a lot of Spurs fans with dread, uh, and they did get really overrun. Um, so may, again, maybe that is another reason why we we are more likely to see a four three three because. Um, yeah, the United midfield bossed it that night. Fred and McTominay really, really strong. Um, so that's definitely an area that they'll be looking at and thinking we need to get on top here because otherwise, especially, you know, United on the counter-attack, they're going to have to be really, um, yeah, have a lot more strength in that midfield area, I think. And of course, now United have got um, Bruno Fernandes and they might have Paul Pogba as well. I mean, our colleague, Laurie Whitwell, did a, has done a piece in The Athletic today saying he doesn't expect Pogba to start. But clearly, United have got more more resources in midfield than they did earlier in the season. Um, that being the case, James, do we think we, would you expect Spurs to maybe play in a sort of defensive way, like they did against Liverpool and City at home earlier this season? Perhaps, yeah. I mean, I, I would say they did that more out of necessity, given the personnel they had available. I think more than anything else. Um, I, I think against Manchester United, I think there might be more of a temptation to go toe for toe to toe, which obviously is what they did in, in, in a game or tried to do in the game at Old Trafford, as Charlie just said. Um, I, I think given the attacking options that are now back available, I, I think you'll see a, a slightly more attack-minded team, but I, you know, it's not going to be anything outrageous, is it? I don't, I don't think... I don't think you're going to kind of see you know him play two centre-forwards purely because Spurs don't have two centre-forwards. Um and you know it's not like there's a kind of informed defensive midfield player that you can sit in there and and kind of demand to not let anything pass. It's going to kind of be the the team we just sort of said really on the basis of that's that's all that's kind of there until the next transfer window. It is interesting though because when Spurs were playing in that period where they didn't have a striker when both Son and Kane were out and they were playing a few times with like Winks and Lacelso as a central midfield which you know is not really what you would necessarily associate with Mourinho given that they're both pretty small technical players and he explained it as we need to have a more progressive central midfield than I'm really comfortable with because 
you know, to try and compensate for the lack of having a centre forward. Now that they have Kane and Son both back, you'd think he would be able to, you know, play with a slightly more balanced, less attacking uh, central midfield, which should really be to their advantage. And, it, you know, because they will have players who you can almost rely on for a bit of a moment of magic. Um, and so it may, you know, I don't think it will be like that Liverpool game, but it probably will be a bit more balanced. And I think that Mourinho will be delighted that he has those attacking players back so that he can play a slightly less cavalier, adventurous midfield. I can't wait for the first, um, should Mourinho have parked the bus argument of the year? It's been, <laughs> it's been far, far too long since we've had one of those d- discussions on this podcast and on Twitter, where it's always a very fun topic to discuss. Um, uh, because I, yeah, the more I think about it, the more I think he will, maybe he will park the bus. Maybe, he, m- maybe that would be the right approach. He's got, you know, he's got the pace on the break to do it with Son, Son and Bergwijn or Son and Lucas in the team. He's got, um, like you say, it would maybe make sense for the midfield combinations he could go for. He could go for Dyer and Sissoko in the, the middle and really try and shut it down. So I think he's got the opportunities there. Um, are you worried about United? Like, do you think United are good fundamentally, or do you think because they're quite a di- they're, their last Premier League game was beating was beating City, mm. where they yeah. where it worked really really well for them. Quite surprisingly, they were in great form, weren't they before the before the stoppage? I mean, I think. They hadn't lost a game since like mid-January, maybe, when they lost back-to-back to Liverpool and Burnley and it kind of looked like it was all falling apart. So, uh, you know, they've been in decent form since the start of the year. I guess Spurs had to kind of hope that maybe they can catch them cold and they'll be, they'll be, they'll find a bit of shape and a bit of form more quickly than Manchester United do. You know, it's, uh, like you say, Jack, I mean, it's, it's kind of almost impossible to tell how, how things are going to go, really, which I know isn't really uh, a constructive comment on a, on a football <laughs> podcast previewing the game. But this is just a completely unprecedented situation and it's, just, it's very, very difficult to know um, which, which players and which teams are going to sort of click into gear the quickest. What's amazing is that at this point we're all, you know, we're saying we don't really know. Off the back of one round of games and a sample size of one, we will all be so definitive in our judgments as to whether Spurs are the best team in the world or the worst team in the world. Um, It's going to be, yeah, you can bet that there are going to be some very, very snap judgments uh, based on a sample size of one. And by the way, it all being uncertain is definitely a better situation for Spurs than the one that they were in going into this game in March which was uh, I I was fairly certain about that game then let's put it that way yeah definitely and I do think that this is just going to suit Mourinho I feel like the whole I feel like this really strange thing we've been through is perfect for a man who loves the kind of siege mentality loves to loves the kind of psychological games Loves the kind of time on the training ground with his players, and you know, we I criticise Mourinho a fair bit on this podcast, but I do, I just feel like I just feel like it's set up for him, and I feel like it's all worked. I think feel like it's worked out for him, and I think that his experience in management all over the world and all the success that he's had, I just think he will find a way to, I think it, I think he will find a way to get his players to re- react well to the circumstances. I don't really know how, but I've just got this like. It's weird. I'm now totally buying into the sort of Mourinho, Mourinho as a sort of shaman type mythos that I am generally quite suspicious of. Maybe it's just because I miss him so much. But I'm, am I being ridiculous? Do I, do you think he will conjure up something magical? Well, this um, <clears throat> did a piece on this a couple of weeks ago on 
are looking at that theme and how he's been trying to get an edge and that sort of thing. And he does, you know, one of the things he thinks he's best at compared to his rivals is that's the psychological side, the motivation of players. And when it works, it works really, really well and players fully buy into it. And this does buy him, this gives him that opportunity because it is a strange situation. Um, you know, it's been a three-month lockdown before it, they were taking so, Tottenham were taking so many punches. So you know you can create that that narrative of you know no one thinks we're very good. Let's go and prove them. He believes a lot in social Darwinism and adaptability, and you know having to adapt to survive. And this is obviously such a strange situation. So he will enjoy this challenge, this idea that no one's ever been in this situation, and that affords him the opportunity to get an edge on some of his rivals. So. You know he's confident. Uh, he's he's looking forward to it, and like the last few weeks, actually getting on the training ground. He didn't ha- he didn't have a preseason with with this Spurs team, so this is that uh, kind of an Erzatz version of uh, of what he would have liked last summer. It is set up for it, so it is gonna. It's just gonna be so interesting to see um, to see because it's kind of exposing for managers, right? Like who has. And again, it will be, maybe it's a simplistic way of looking at it, but it will show who has dealt with this best in a way, you know, who, who has the best results when we come back, who's found a way to motivate their players, who's found a way to make sense of this extremely difficult situation and and help the players get through it, because that's going to be a big part of it. The players would have been like we all have. It's a very strange, difficult situation. And, um, you know, those man management skills will be paramount. Um, so I definitely think there's something in it. But it will be down to to the results over the next six weeks or however long. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I found I found like my shaving habits and hair cutting habits have slightly changed uh, over the course of lockdown, having not had a haircut for a very long time and not really needing to shave every day. Charlie, you you actually have a beard. How are you? How are you coping <laughs> with it? Have you have you grown it? Have you have you let it grow to like Olaf Melberg levels, or have you been? No, Have you so been shaving it? I'll, I'll talk you through my beard lockdown journey. Uh, it's a fascinating story. I let it grow out quite long, but then I did think this is getting a bit ridiculous. I think it was partly because I had a Zoom interview uh, and I thought this looks a bit much. So I I did actually, I used the Harry's products because I haven't, normally I trim it. I haven't had a, I haven't been clean shaven for a long time. Uh, and it was really, really pleasant. I mean, it does, I look about 12 when, uh, when I'm clean shaven. So it took a lot, uh, a lot of years off me. Um, felt like, you know, I looked like I was kind of going to school. Um, but yeah, it felt really nice. That said, because I'm lazy, I then just let it grow back out. And that's kind of the situation I'm at now. But maybe Tottenham on Friday will be a good, uh, prompt for me to, you know, be clean shaven again, uh, go in and, you know, what's Mourinho's thing about being ready for war? And I know, I know that's shaving his head, but, you know, maybe I'll feel a bit smarter. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of, it's, it's been up and down, 
But um, yeah, that's kind of been my journey. But yeah, with hair, like you say, Jack, I mean, it's funny seeing friends yesterday, uh, first time seeing some of them in a while because of lockdown and everyone's hair is just that long, overgrown, looks a bit shit look. Um, but we're all in it together. There's nothing we can do. Unless you're James and James, you, you shaved yours, didn't you? I, I mean, I didn't, I, tri- I didn't shave my head like completely sort of Roy Keane, David Beckham, late 90s level. Right. But I did use a... Uh, a beard trimmer basically to do my whole head because it looks terrible it looked really bad um and to be fair i think i did a pretty good job actually i think i did a pretty good job um what, what, what was your hairline levels because that's what that's it's quite exposing that's kind of my worry with shaving my head it's like there's nowhere really to hide it is luxuriously strong <laughs> absolutely fine wow so that's the one thing about myself i have some confidence in <laughs> uh, uh can, can i do my pre-prepared joke now please do Hey, uh, Jack, Charlie, why do you suppose uh, no Spurs players grew a beard during lockdown? Uh, no idea. It's because they have Harry's, Winks and Kane. That's a joke. Christ. Nice. Two, two out of ten? <laughs> One out of ten, maybe? It's worth all the hours I put into that, right? Yeah, wow. Um, Charlie, Christmas cracker. How... Charlie, how far did your beard go? Was it like Christoph Metzelder or Dan Bilzerian? <laughs> uh, it was. <laughs> it was quite. It, it wasn't. It wasn't that long. Um, but it, it. It was decent. Um, it, it, it was at a length where I felt maybe it looked a bit much uh, for interviewing a player. Um, but yeah, it, it was maybe the longest I've had it. Um, Which player was it that tipped you over the edge and made you think? I'm trying to think. It might have been when I spoke to Luke Amos, or it may have been that I kept it for that, and then thought uh, I probably shouldn't have done that. I yeah, should yeah, should have looked a bit more respectable. Yeah, learnt my lesson. Well, as a listener, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for three pounds ninety five. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and travel blade cover, by going to harrys.com forward slash lane right now. That's harrys.com forward slash lane. Elsewhere, Charlie, you you spoke to Ramon Vega recently, uh, who spoke really, really well about the crisis facing football teams outside the elite. How did he, how come he's an expert in this? He's he's another one um, in this series now of two. Uh, earlier in the season, interviewed Esmond Bardson, who uh, quit football and then worked in the city. And, and Vega did a similar thing. Very smart guy, uh, both of them. So he worked for hedge funds and asset managers and now is a sports business consultant. So he advises uh, clubs, governing bodies, that sort of thing on their finances. And he feels really strongly about this. I mean, he he works with a lot of lower league clubs, and he's genuinely terrified for the future. and And he sees this as a bit of a reckoning um, that football was headed towards because the inequality has been so rampant. Um, and he he really wants a situation where clubs work together a bit more, where there's a more even distribution of wealth, where things like TV rights don't just completely uh, skew everything. Um, and we talked as well off the back of the Wenger. Uh, interview uh, that our colleague Amy Lawrence did, which is definitely worth a read. Um, he Wenger had talked about the salary as possible salary cap for footballers, and Vega spoke about that as well. and And he said, looking at it from a player perspective, the problem is if you're a player, 
and there's a salary cap, you're then looking around and saying, well, what about all the industries that benefit from football um, and that are associated with football? So say like banking, why is it that we're the ones playing and we're getting our salaries capped and, and they're not? Um, so he didn't think it was necessarily that workable. And he talked more about uh, kind of incentivized pay structures and that kind of thing. Um, and he talked a bit as well about how when he was at uh, Tottenham and Watford, he'd help Espen Bardson out with his studies because Bardson was studying for an, an economics degree at the Open University. So they'd, he talked about when they were at Watford and they'd be on the coach to say Grimsby and most players would be listening to their music and he'd be helping Espen out with derivatives and bonds and that sort of thing. So quite a funny image, especially football like 20 years ago where uh, it was a bit more of a macho culture. Uh, but he's a, he's a really smart guy and a good talker. Um, and it, yeah, it was interesting to get his perspective on on the financial state of football, which the more you talk to people who uh, who know about it, and I'd recommend here Matt Slater's piece from, it would have been, I think, from probably about April, and he talked to lots of financial experts um, about, yeah, kind of that it felt like football was in a very precarious place on very shaky foundations, and those foundations have just been whipped away, and now people are very, very scared. James, this tally with your memories of Ramon Vega as a Spurs player? What, as a financial mind rather than a footballer? Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't really say that ever shone through in his, uh, in his performances on the pitch. Um, but I, funnily enough, I was watching Premier League years, uh, I, ooh, 96, 97, it must have been last week, uh, and they mentioned his signing uh, as he turned up. And I mean, they showed a few clips. He actually looked really good. And I watched the England-Switzerland game from Euro 96 as well. He's one of the best players on the pitch. He's like shooting from 40 yards, which was not a thing I, I really remember him doing for Spurs. So perhaps, you know, I, I don't think he's like remembered exceptionally fondly as a player. Not to say that he's like hated or whatever. But I mean, I, perhaps he was, perhaps he was, you know, exposed in a limited team. He also played in that League Cup final of 99 with a stress fracture. Um, and he described himself in the interview as a nutcase for playing in it. Um, but yeah, so that that uh, is a particularly fond memory for him. And he says, you know, despite the pain and everything, it was 100% worth it to have a trophy um, to remember his time at Tottenham with. Amazing. And one other article that I wanted to, to, to draw your attention to was, Charlie, you did this great piece on players who Spurs nearly signed and didn't sign, which as ever with a club like Spurs, like it really is a kind of absolute who's who of you know very good players from the last 20 years um some of whom you know some some of these stories are well known about some of them less so uh but the, the bit that really terrified me was when you had to explain to our younger readers who rivaldo was <laughs> yeah it made me feel ancient like methuselah so i mean but i did i just it just occurred to me that for some of you know he was he was last relevant really what 2002 world cup uh which was coming up to 20 years ago and some of our readers won't even have been alive uh when that happened so yeah i i, I did feel uh like a real has been introducer you know having to introduce who rivaldo was did he play in the 2005 champions league final for milan yeah no he Can't was remember. gone by then he, he was at olympiacos um, oh wow yeah so he i think he only lasted a season or two at milan and, and was and was pretty peripheral like he was still there for that Juventus 2000. I mean, his first season was that Juventus dire, yeah. uh, absolutely diabolical final. But I'm not sure how much he even played in that game. Um, but yeah, he was the original. So that's where I started from. He was, you know, he, he's that poster boy for 
signings that didn't quite happen. And I mean, I do remember that at the time. And James, I'm sure you will as well. You're yes. probably refreshing CFAX or well, calling yeah, club call. Yeah, exactly. A calling, calling, calling club call and racking up a massive phone bill. I, I definitely remember being livid about that at the time. And and this is probably an indication of how different a person I am in 2020. But uh, as you mentioned in the piece, he wrote a letter to Glenn Hoddle and Daniel Levy thanking <laughs> them for their interest. And Spurs basically uh, put this letter on the club website. Well, I didn't put that letter on the website, but there's an article with Glenn Hoddle on the website talking about this letter. And that that now I, that at the time I thought was absolutely amazing. Uh, but that would really piss me off if a player did that now. If a player was that, like, it's quite patronising, really, isn't it? Also, what's so funny about that is the fact that they felt the need to to kind of issue this statement because there were there was a lot of scepticism that this interest was real. It's so tin pot. Yeah, they felt they need to go on the record and be like, no, we, we genuinely were in for Rivaldo and we did get quite close. <laughs> for the piece, spoke to a good friend of Rivaldo's and someone he's worked with for a long time and he said he was sceptical as to whether Rivaldo would have actually written that letter. Uh, he thought it would have come from one of one of his team, but... Um, nonetheless, he, he talks about, you know, Rivaldo did always want to play in the Premier League. He loved playing in England. He really liked London as a city. So it was real. And he, he got closer to joining Bolton, uh, Sam Allardyce's Bolton, a couple of years later in 2004. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It would have, it was exactly right. Totally. It was where that team was heading. Uh, but they, yeah, that one didn't quite happen. But yeah, I mean, the, th- the thing is with this, uh, I, what I found interesting as well was just looking at, how Tottenham's policies and priorities changed. And so you had that era where that was soon into Enix ownership and it did feel like they wanted to make a big splash, sign a big name. Then they went into signing younger uh, British players in that more kind of Yol Kamoli era. Then under Redknapp and AVB, it became a bit more reactive, a bit more short term. And then Pochettino went back to uh, looking for young, fresh players uh, talent scouring Europe for those hungry players who could be moulded to uh, to what Pochettino wanted and also the acceptance that once clubs like Chelsea, City or whoever come in for players you're, they're probably going to blow you out of the water so you do need to be aiming for players that they're not, aren't necessarily on their radar so you can get them um, before that happens uh, but it is, it's really interesting that counterfactual thing and thinking about some of the signings that could have happened and so like Alderweire, when they signed Alderweireld their second choice if they hadn't got him was Virgil van Dijk and he ended up going to Southampton at that time and you think I mean that's when Alderweire has been a brilliant signing so it's I, it's not one uh, from what I gather that you know how, how can you beat yourself up about that but it's just interesting thinking about that and then guys like Martial and Mbappe who were on their radar and they really wanted to bring in but uh, you know, it it didn't quite work out with, like that again because once you have other, you know, Europe super clubs sniffing around, the prices become prohibitive, and especially because Tottenham had the stadium build, they're just not going to go out and spend the sums required for some of those players. Diego was the one for me. I think the one that I was most disappointed about. It felt so. This was uh, the Diego who later played for well, like Verde Bremen, Atletico Madrid, um, Juve. Juve, that's right. So at the time he was at Santos and I think he was kind of 18, 19. And this was like, this was in the papers for, for weeks and weeks, months and months that David Pleat was trying to do this deal to bring this like Brazilian international to Spurs, like a number 10, a playmaker. It's very, very exciting. Uh, yeah, and I, that, that I, I, you know, I'm not sure, you know, compared to some of those other names that you mentioned, he obviously he hadn't hit quite the same heights in his career. But I mean, 
I don't know. Just don't, it's just the one that I I think could have been really good because it, I just think like Rivaldo, you know, obviously a massive name and was huge in that World Cup, but the fact that it didn't really work out from Milan makes me wonder whether had he come to Spurs in that team, whether it really would have worked, and I'm not convinced it would have done really. Um, and you know, and, and some of the more recent ones, you know, as a mention of uh, a Bemiang under AVB and Charlie's piece probably would have kept Kane out of the team. And you just think, I mean, obviously it would have been a great signing and, you know, he can play out wide as well. But you just think like the way things have worked out over the last four or five years, I don't don't think I really would regret many of the ones in that time purely on the basis of like, just thinking about how it would have changed what happened since. For me, the one that Spurs missed the most was Jean Moutinho in 2012. Mm, Just because they'd literally just sold Luka Modric to Real Madrid that summer. And they needed a creative midfielder. And Moutinho was so, so good. Like he's, you can just see him now for Wolves. He's an absolutely ridiculous player. I love watching him play. And he would have been perfect. And obviously AVB knew him from Porto. He would have slotted straight into that midfield and given them that creativity. And given how AVB play, wanted to play with so much control and they never really quite had the quality right in the middle of the pitch. And maybe it would have, maybe it would have meant they wouldn't have signed Ericsson in 2013. Like who knows? They're not exactly the same player. I think what it would have meant is you wouldn't have seen Dembele playing in the same role in that team. And I know he had already signed at that point and they were still going for Moutinho at that window. True. But I don't think, you know, and if, you know, Moutinho helps Spurs finish fourth in 2013 and AVB keeps his job and whatever else, then do you even get the Pochettino era? Who knows? Yeah, Pochettino wow. would have replaced Wenger. Yeah. Keep an open mind to these things, Jack. That's true, yeah. Imagine that. We should do that, a kind of counterfactual history. Like what... AVB would AVB would have lasted too long, and uh, yeah, Poch would have gone. I don't know, Arsenal, Man United, probably not Man United. Straight. I think Spain's. he still would have needed a bridge club. Like I think Liverpool. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe in 2015, once Rogers yeah, went. Yeah, they were still at you Liverpool. Know, uh, still at Southampton, they'd done well. Then when Rogers went, if he's still doing well at that point, maybe. Then where does Klopp go? Maybe Klopp then comes to Spurs. Oh no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> But yeah, he would have been he would have been fantastic, and also Eden Hazard, who they met when he was at, still at Lille in 2012. Obviously, yeah, obviously he was probably slightly too good for Spurs, maybe at that point. But then, I think again from speaking because Harry Redknapp spoke to for that piece, and it sounds like that is another one where Chelsea just had the resources because they paid 32 million for a 21 year old uh, in Hazard at that time, and you know that that's a lot of money Moutinho was more just they ran out of time and that that's quite agonizing when you think if only you know because <laughs> because Modric had gone a few days before and as James says they'd signed Dembele in in the interim but um yeah it was just if you is that your one Jack if you could change one if I could change one it'd be Moutinho I think although I was wondering on Hazard like if Chelsea had lost the Champions League final in 2012 Spurs would have been in the Champions League in 2012-13 mm. would I'm not saying Hazard would necessarily have gone to to Spurs but he might not have gone to Chelsea given that City and United were also in for him at that point I don't know I'm just speculating yeah anyway um guys I think that's probably all we've got time for this week but uh, listeners, we will be back sooner than you might expect. Uh, we'll be back on Saturday morning where we'll be doing a podcast straight after the Tottenham-Manchester United game on Friday night. So we're really looking forward to the chance to review that game, having not, you know, it's been far, far too long since Spurs last played a match. Uh, so we'll be with you back then. Um, but thank you very much for listening. And if there's anything you want us to talk about next week or to touch on, please just tweet us. Mm-hmm.